You are now listening to Men of March, presented by StudentUnionSports.com. And welcome back to the Men of March podcast. We enjoyed another great week of college basketball. It's February season eight. We're one month till March. It's primetime college basketball season. No, only one more NFL Sunday, the Super Bowl. And after that, the sport is all up to college hoops. We know NBA doesn't start till it really starts till April. And so we get uh, it's time for the bracketology talk and everything that goes with that, preparing for March. We get the great matchups and conference play all the way throughout the week. CBS college basketball games on Saturday. And we're getting to the best time of year. Yeah, we are. It's starting to get to that point where I feel like there's seven or eight matchups every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday that are just like intriguing to watch. Super fun, super exciting. And we had one of those on Tuesday night where we got to see Chris Beard go back into Lubbock in what was a not-so-friendly Texas Tech crowd. Yes, and that's what makes college basketball great, man. You kind of watch that crowd on Saturday night. They're doing the you get like ten thousand people, or I don't know how much Texas Tech Arena holds, but they're they're all swaying together. There's a mutual hatred. There's a mutual love for their team and a mutual hatred for Chris Beard. I couldn't imagine walking to like an arena in one place where over ten thousand people like all mutually like hatred guts. And knowing that. <laughs> and so Texas Tech, they were pumped. They've been one of the great stories of the year, too. And that game, it was like minus four was the spread. And I don't think anyone was really on Texas. I think everyone was on the Red Raiders, me included, in the first half. And and they just took care of business. There wasn't uh, any letdown to the hype. They competed for 40 minutes. Texas was never really in that game at all like they had the 14 point lead in the first half and and you know that texas tech raider defense like chris beard beard built that toughness of that texas tech team and they're hard as nails um they they play like they have just have like a whole like medieval battle suit of armor on you know like they're so mentally tough nothing phases them they're they played the, the, their best stretch of basketball without Terrence Shannon, their leading scorer, and their only NBA projected uh, draft pick. And you're, they played a Texas team that was top five and or top five, top ten in the preseason poll. And things, and it's just kind of like one of those things, like things haven't been great for Chris Beard and everything's been great for Texas Tech. Yeah, Texas Tech pulled out a 13-point win. Kevin McCullough led the way with 19 points. Uh, the other significant result from Tuesday night was Auburn slacking Alabama. Uh, yeah. And Auburn kind of cemented themselves as the best team in the country. Their one loss, like we said, with the UConn in double overtime. And that was a great crowd, too. And shout out for Auburn, too. There, they did um, a memorial for, uh, I think it's – a fluffopotamus, the leader of the Alabama student section who passed away right after March last year, was very important to that Alabama basketball culture since Nate Oates had arrived. So they gave him kind of like a moment of silence, which I thought was like pretty classy. I'm not sure what uh, 
the late fluff with thought about getting cheered by a bunch of Auburn fans, but I thought that was kind of a classy memento to start the game. And yeah, Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler, like they kind of play up Alabama's up tempo style of basketball, but Auburn just does it a lot better. They have the better athletes. Um, they're just what Bruce Pearl has done. He just signed, uh, I think, what, what was it, a $50 million extension? Yep, eight years, $50 million. So I'll have him coaching at Auburn through his age 70 year. And I feel like that's even kind of a deal for Auburn. You know, I know there's there's been some NCAA stuff, like investigation stuff into Auburn program. They had to sit out the postseason last year, but I feel like that's a steal f- to get Bruce Pearl locked in for another eight years. I agree with that for sure. He's proven himself to just be, even since he was at Tennessee, to be one of the best coaches in the country. And what he's built at Auburn is just wild stuff. No one would have thought four or five years ago that Auburn would be ranked number one in the country and had been to a final four. Like that's just like something that hasn't happened. They haven't been this prominent since I think they won the SEC regular season championship in 1999. So it's been 20 years since Auburn has actually been relevant. A fun little stat from the Auburn Alabama game. The first time those two teams played in Tuscaloosa, Auburn only won by four points. Walker Kessler only had two points played 13 minutes and didn't block a shot dealing with foul trouble. Uh, Tuesday night, 28 minutes, still had four fouls, but played 28 minutes, 14 points, 12 rebounds, eight blocks. Eight blocks is a wild stat. I mean, he's cemented himself as one of the best shot blockers, if not the best shot blocker in the country. That is his fourth game in SEC play with at least six block shots. Uh, He is a ridiculous, ridiculous talent. Yeah, he is. From being on the bench at Carolina to being in the top 30, top 25 in draft boards after one season at Auburn and leading, being probably the second best player on the number one team in the country is a massive leap. Then we have what was a dominating performance by the Marquette Golden Eagles. Shaka Smart's team, like they flipped the calendar since 2022 has ruled around rolled around they're the first team to sweep Villanova since 2017 Butler in the Big East regular season um what Marquette is doing I think they're picked seventh or eighth in the Big East uh before the season and Chalk is smart just kind of getting run out of Texas has turned Marquette into what's probably going to be a top 15 team going into the Big East tournament, top 15, top 20 team. Yeah, all the pieces at Marquette just fit together so well. And when they have Pfizer form rocking like it was last night, I mean, they're very hard to beat. Justin Lewis is kind of the de facto leader of that team. He's a really good stretch four, stretch five that shoots the ball pretty well and has been playing much better since Big East play turned around. Tyler Kolick has been awesome running the point. He distributes the ball really well. And then you have Daryl Marcel, who was – the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year at Maryland last year and has just been really good on offense for them too. And then you have a bunch of bench pieces, some young, some old like Greg Elliott, who just have been playing together for, not playing together, but this season, but playing together so well. And it's really led to this kind of mid-season surge and they're 16 and seven right now. And it will be a shock to everyone at this point if they miss the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they have, I want to, count i think they have um 
I saw like a ridiculous stat. But I think they have eight wins in the against top fifty teams or something ridiculous like that. You see. I believe that they've played a super tough schedule. Well, they have five wins against top fifty teams in a lot, and just just this month alone. Eight. Or or they have seven wins with West Virginia. That non-conference win against West Virginia is just outside the top fifty. But they were. Who would have thought that a sixteen-point loss in that MTE to St. Bonaventure would be considered a bad loss? Now. Yeah, and St. Bonaventure, like Marquette, might save St. Bonaventure's. Uh, well, I think that's kind of far, far gone. But with we could talk about the Bonnies, um, in that home loss against Davidson too like Davidson like tried did you watch that game I was I watched the first half Davidson tried to give that game away so badly it was so funny I had that on my computer while I was watching Auburn Alabama and like I kept Davidson kept getting the ball like it was the final minute they kept getting the ball and they were stuck at 79 points which would felt like at least 50 to 60 seconds of game time and St. Bonaventure was trying to foul it got within like two or three points at one point. It was just uh, it was kind of a mess for the Wildcats at the end there, but you know they pulled it out. They're still running the A10 right now in position to get an at-large bid. Uh, could be a tough out in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, but for the you A10, want to talk about the Bonnies? Yeah, and for the A10, it's kind of like Davidson or out. Um, yeah, Bonnie has been just one of the biggest disappointments. Like they weren't even really impressive. Like, their run, uh, bef- like, in the beginning of the season, which a lot of people thought it wasn't really impressive. Like, even their win against Boise, they trailed by double digits. Uh, they had to come back against Clemson by double digits. The only good, really good, impressive win was against Marquette. Um, they're dominated by Northern Iowa. Kansas, like, the second game of the season, like, that was in jeopardy. If they would have lost to Kansas, it would have been kind of all over for them. And... Yeah, they don't really have any depth. They don't really shoot the ball well. They're they rank 254th in the country shooting from three, which I, you wouldn't really see coming with Lofton and Holmes. They're a veteran team. This is probably um, March Smith's one of his best years to compete. They're a ninth seed in the NCAA tournament last year and, and gave LSU some trouble in the first round. And it's just like, like we're gotten past the point where we can't really blame the COVID pause anymore and the rustiness. And like I feel like this should be a lesson to all men majors. Like you have to build a team that has more than seven six, seven guys. Like as far as our usage goes, it's like ninety-five percent, eighty-five percent, eighty-nine percent, ninety-one percent, like 80%, and they only really use one guy off the bench, and that's their backup big to uh, sub for Usan Usini. So, and and the thing is, Bonnie, with their wins in the non-conference with Marquette, Boise State, and Clemson, they probably would could have survived if they didn't lose against George Mason on the road by nine points. Yeah. Then, I, so it's kind of like tournament or A10 tournament title or bust for the Bonnies now. Yeah, the, 
yeah, the more we start watching this team, the more like we have to start thinking. I feel like that uh, last March was just like an aberration. Like they were a solid team and are still a solid team that just went on a six game win streak and was playing really well at the right time. And because the eight ten is usually a pretty good league, they got a nine seed. Uh, that that's just what I'm starting to think that the Bonnies are. A uh, couple other interesting results from Tuesday night: Kansas beat Iowa State in Hilton Coliseum without Oche Abaji. Really big win for them. Michigan State needed a buzzer beater from Malik Hall to beat Maryland 65-63 on Tuesday night. That would have been a big loss. Ole Miss, one of the doormats of the SEC, beat LSU in Baton Rouge. That's a terrible loss for LSU. And Creighton beat Marquette at the XL Center. That's the fourth time that Creighton has beat UConn in a row. Austin, which of those matchups and results sticks out to you the most? Well, I had UConn on a money line parlay with Texas Tech, and I was really so obviously I was pretty surprised with that result. Um, I tried to cheat system in the Vegas in Vegas, um, getting you try to get trying to get uh, Texas Tech at close to even money. It was still like minus one thirty. Um, parlaying like a five five fifty favorite in UConn, and I'm not really. It was a disappointing loss for UConn, but it does pose some concern of like their ability to make deep runs to the tournament because when RJ Cole is not efficient and then you combine that with Adam Sonogo going three of ten from the field, like it doesn't really pose well for the Huskies. And like they even dominated the offensive boards too. They had 18 offensive rebounds and still couldn't get things going. So could have been a little bit of bad luck, but Creighton's just kind of an, a team I can't really figure out. Um, they have some good pieces, Ryan Kochbrenner, Ryan Hawkins, Ryan Nimhar. That's a good trio there. But, yeah, Creighton's just a team. I'm not – they look the part of an NCAA tournament team, but they do have some – they do have that really bad loss at Butler and at Air and at home to Arizona State. I think those are both quad three losses. Um but yeah I think UConn they'll have opportunities to turn it around. I still think this is a top six seed, probably a top five seed in the NCAA tournament and a team that can make a run, but they do have some concerns. Yeah, that was a huge win for Creighton. You mentioned the bad losses that they had taken on. And now Creighton has wins over Mar over uh, Villanova and UConn, sort of the two top dogs in the Big East. And they'll get their shot at Providence again. And they'll probably get another shot at Marquette. And then you have the Big East tournament too. So I think Creighton, I think Creighton can still get there if they take advantage of some of those opportunities. Uh, I want to talk about LSU a little bit. Uh, five losses in six games for will wade's tigers uh not great some the first three understandable bama arkansas tennessee those are fine uh losing at tcu without xavier pinson playing a significant role eh. losing at home to ole miss that's a really bad loss as a really really tough loss to take for will wade's tigers they'll be definitely falling out of the top 25 xavier pinson still not a factor played only 16 minutes they're not getting enough out of Efton Reed, uh, 16 minutes. He was a 
five-star center who's been starting for them the whole season. They're just not getting enough out of him. Yeah, I'm a little worried about LSU. They struggle to score a lot. Again, only 31, 32 points in the first half. And when that defense isn't clicking, they have big, big problems. Yeah, and when they can't get teams off the – like they can get teams off the three-point line, but I think what you said with – um. Efton Reed, like when he's not playing, like they don't really have a really big post presence in the middle there. Darius Days is a good one-on-one defender, but at six seven, he's not really an elite paint protector. And they do a really good job of defending defending pick and roll and dribble drive penetration. But when the communication's right right there, and you kind of had you kind of saw what happened in that TCU game, like they're they're surrendering layups. It wasn't a three-point barrage. It was, you know, it was Chuck O'Bannon. It was Mike Miles getting downhill and getting to the getting to the hole, getting to the line. Like Miles shot nine free throws. And you can't have a point guard shoot nine free throws if you're LSU. Like you're not going to win when that stuff happens. They and TCU shot 66, got 18 points from free throws. And they shot 66% from the line. So it's not like they were knocking down free throws too. But, yeah, they were just – it was it was a rowdy atmosphere at TCU. But, yeah, it, it was more or less the Tari Eason show on offense. And when Tari Eason's not – Tari Eason and Darius Days kind of filter all that – filter all their, all their scoring – Eric Gaines has been a little bit inconsistent. And so they're really on offensive. They're really relying on two players. I think Brandon Murray takes, is not a great defensive player, but shouldn't be taking 13 shots on the offensive end. I think. So yeah, LSU just has to figure it out on the offensive side of the floor. Yeah, luckily for them, they kind of, after that just ridiculous start to the SEC schedule, they kind of have a soft two and a half weeks here. Away to Vandy, who's tough. They gave Kentucky a tough run last night, but that's a winnable game. At Texas A&M, they should win that game. Home against Mississippi State, home against Georgia, and then home away at South Carolina. Um, If they're playing okay, LSU should win all five of those games and hold those teams to 60 points on offense before they take a trip to Rupp Arena. And which will be a great matchup against Kentucky. And let's talk about the Wildcats. Uh, You saw Bandy kind of gave them trouble in what was kind of a little bit of a trap game, but they played against Kansas at Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. And the Wildcats looked like a team that can cut down the nets in March. Yeah, they did. They were awesome. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Oscar Sheboy was dominating inside. Kellen Grady shot the ball really well. Severe Wheeler looked like a point guard that could lead a team to a national championship. And then you had Keon Brooks out of nowhere. I mean, he's been a good player in that program for a while. I think this is his third year at Kentucky. He had 27 points and eight rebounds. He was making everything from the mid-range. He was dunking everything around the basket. And they even got that done without a good performance from Ty Ty Washington, who returned from his ankle sprain that he sustained against Auburn and shot one of nine from the field. It was a nice boost to have him out there, but he didn't play well. 
and Kentucky still blew the doors off Kansas. And it was never really close, and they looked like the more athletic team. And I think that's something Coach Cal is sort of embracing here, a team that dominates the boards with Oscar Sheway in the middle. They they're, they rank 79th in pace, and I don't think Kentucky has ranked in the top 100 in pace since maybe not even the 18th. Yeah, not even – since the 2017 team with Malik Monk and Darian Fox. So, and they ranked in the top 30 in pace. So this is the first time Kentucky, they're just using their athleticism. They, they have multiple guys who can finish at the rim. And this is a big win that they kind of, they, not that they needed, but it was – it was a confidence booster for them. It was, it was a show them. It was a statement game. And it was obviously their biggest win of the season. Their next best win was at home versus Tennessee. They beat North Carolina on the neutral, but North Carolina, we've kind of seen what they are. And so outside of that Tennessee game, they didn't have like a huge win against a top, top 15 opponent. And so winning at Kansas, at Allen Fieldhouse was a hell of a statement and puts Kentucky in, I think, tier one as far as national championship contenders go. I agree with that. Uh, talking about Kansas a little bit, those these last two games are why Kansas can be, like, so frustrating, and it's all because of, like, one player. I feel like David McCormack, he was awful against Kentucky. The 6'10 center for Kansas, he was horrible. I got outplayed by Oscar Sheboy. Three points, one rebound in 16 minutes. Only took two shots. He was awful. And then Tuesday night, and pretty much it wasn't a must win for Kansas. And they're still like a national title contender fringe. But, I mean, in a game at Hilton Coliseum, you know that place is going to be wild. No Oche Abaji. You don't have your All-American out there. Well, Cormac went 14-14 and with two blocks and a steal. I mean, it shot perfect from seven seven from the field. I mean, when he's playing well, Kansas is a legitimate national championship contender and probably a top five team in the country. When he's not, they don't really have an interior presence and it's going to struggle no matter how good the guards are playing on the outside. And this was a situation where he kind of had to step up, step up because they had no apology and they didn't have someone else. No Remy, Remy Martin. Martin. Yeah, Remy Martin. So they didn't have their... Two of the three of two of their top guards, uh, Christian Brown has been awesome for Kansas. I think he's been a really great story um, for the Jayhawks as well. They go at Saturday in a game that's going to highlight the slate. Kansas hosting Baylor. Kansas on Kent Palm, they're only projected to be a one point favorite, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, they've. Like, before that Kentucky game, Texas Tech probably should have beat them at home. Took them to down to the wire. Oklahoma, they sh- took them down to the wire. And they almost lost to Kansas State, too. So, although they won all those games, like, they, the Jayhawks have been pretty shaky of late. Yeah, that was their first convincing win in a while. Then we'll talk about the Baylor Bears. Um, coming off a road loss against Bama, 
Alabama, they're pretty desperate and got a big win there. Then without um, they were missing a couple pieces for they were missing LJ Cryer and Adam Flagler Wednesday night and not Wednesday night, Monday night against West Virginia. Still got a win there. They were down for most of that game. It was a pretty fun watch. Yeah, and then Matthew Meyer was pretty awesome late. And Jonathan Tashuma, I can never pronounce his name. Chamwa Chachua. Chachua. Kind of had a breakout game, 14 points on six or seven shooting. It was really good. Just You could kind of see how much depth this Baylor team has. It was a missed opportunity for West Virginia for sure to get a road win at Baylor. And they're going to be a fringe uh, NCAA tournament team. But the Big 12 fan, every game seems to be tough. This conference might have Oklahoma State as an eligible for the tournament, but we might see seven of the eight of the nine teams, maybe even eight, make the tournament in this conference. Who would you leave out? Like, right, like, I know – we're not bracketology, super bracketology experts, but just based off resumes right now, I think all eight of them besides Kansas State get in. Maybe Oklahoma. Oklahoma's been on a rough stretch lately. I'm not sure they have the athleticism or the depth to uh, figure it out in this league. They've been they've been reeling a little bit. Yeah, they're 13 and nine. If they've and they've lost six of their last seven, with their only win at West Virginia. So. I think, yeah, but that, like you mentioned, seven teams, I think like that biggest question right now would be TCU, was TCU, and TCU got that big home win against LSU and then followed it up winning at Oklahoma, which felt like a nice little bubble battle on January 31st. So good on the Horn Frogs. They're up to 15 and four, 45th in Ken Palm, a couple winnable games in a row before going to Texas Tech. It feels like they're a tournament team right now for sure. Yeah, their non-conference was kind of, uh, they they had that win against win against Texas A&M on a neutral. They beat Utah. The loss against Santa Clara is not as bad. Uh, Santa Clara is still a top 100 team. And they led Baylor at home at halftime by double digits, I think, or by eight. And they lost a heartbreaker against Oklahoma State. And... Texas beat them and what was some kind of a must-win spot against Texas. But, yeah, wins against Iowa State on the road. Uh, that home win against LSU. That win against Oklahoma. And they'll have – and then they their gauntlet in the Big 12 schedule is coming up. We'll find out how good they are. They play at Texas Tech, Iowa State, at home at Baylor, at home versus West Virginia, then at Texas, then Texas Tech. And then they have they play Kansas in back-to-back games. So they play the the their rough stretch of the Big 12 schedule right in time when it's really bracketology season. Yeah, Jamie Dixon definitely scheduled this season like he knew how good the Big 12 was going to be. Stock up on those wins, get them in the non-conference, and then we're going to see what happens in Big 12 play. And to their credit, they're playing well. Then kind of like the last game, we'll preview or we'll recap from last week. Um, a game on Wednesday, battle of Big Big Ten teams. 
we'll preview two more. We'll preview the two biggest games of the Big Ten. So we'll preview Wisconsin traveling at Illinois. What do you think about the Illini's big get, big win? This was seems like Kofi Cockburn. No one has never really mentioned him in the National Player of the Year run as of late. He kind of knocked on the door of of that award yesterday. Yeah, 37 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, Wisconsin just did not have an answer inside. They were overmatched, and Wisconsin could not answer from the outside. This game was played at a – Wisconsin shot 3 of 24 from 3, 0 of 9 in the first half, 3 of 15 in the second half. Wisconsin didn't – I was surprised because Wisconsin tried to run with Illinois early, and I feel like Illinois with their guards with Fraser, Curbelo, Alfonso Plummer, like they want you to run with them. Like, that's what they like to do. And then when the half court comes, they get to dump it inside to Kofi. That's what makes them a really good basketball team. But Wisconsin tried to run with them. And for a half, it worked. They were getting inside, making twos, getting to the free throw line. And then in the second half, uh, it just all fell apart for the Badgers. Johnny Davis had 22 points and 15 rebounds. He still looked like in a first-team All-American and a National Player of the Year front runner. But behind him, I just – Brad Davison over six from three. It's hard to trust this Wisconsin team still. They still don't rate out as a really good team on the computer at uh, metrics wise. It's kind of opposite too, because Wisconsin doesn't rank in the computer, but they have, they kind of had the eye test big wins against Ohio State at Purdue against Iowa. They beat Houston, which might be one of the best wins of the year. Like a full, like a fully healthy Houston, uh, I should add, in November. Beat Mark, like beat the doors off of Marquette. That win has traveled pretty well. So, like on the computer, their loss to Providence, which without Johnny Davis, um, they caught Michigan State on a great shooting night, and then they lost to Illinois here. So, yeah, a really interested team. I still think Wisconsin, with their ability uh, to play defense, they take care of the basketball, they have a star, but and they just play fundamental hoops. Like, you need – they have the guy that can carry them in March, but it's – but they're – a team with a wide range of results in the tournament where they I can see them getting upset in the first round, but if Johnny Davis just goes nuclear, like he might be able to carry them to the final four. I agree with that, but I just like I don't see it really with this team. I don't know. It's it's a it's tough. They can be tough to watch sometimes. Very tough to watch. And then and that other game will preview happened on Sunday. It was our kind of our appetizer. Before the champion NFL championship games, Purdue winning on a buzzer beater against Ohio State. The game wasn't close for most of the game. Ohio State scored 45 points in the second half. Did we come? I kind of came off of this game like having my doubts about even despite Purdue winning at the end, that kind of second half breakdown gave me some doubts about the Boilermakers a little bit. Yeah, the Jaden Ivey game winner was one of the best shots of the season. I mean, it happened in a national TV game. It was pure as can be. It was one of the best one of the best players in the country. It was one of the best shots of the year. 
it shouldn't have had to come down to that at all. Purdue, like you said, was up 20. They were up 52 to 32. And then Ohio State just started roaring back slowly. They cut it to like 10 and like six minutes left. And, you know, EJ Liddell, 20 points, a couple blocks. He was doing his thing. Malachi Branham played fantastic basketball. Freshman played excellent at the guard position. And before you knew it, it was like a six-point game. Then Liddell hit a three. And Purdue turned the ball over. And Liddell had another three. It was just like chaos inside Mackey Arena. And what worries me about Purdue is their defense. Uh, 87th in the country at Ken Palm. That is uh, – that is not very good. Like when you just think about like some of the best teams in the country. Let me take a look at this real quick. I think there's nobody has gone to the final four with a defense over 75 since VCU in 2011. And, and even that was like the Havoc team. Yeah. But VCU turned the ball over at like the highest rate in tournament history to get there. So. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you look at the teams that are in the top 10 of defensive efficiency, UCLA, Houston, Arizona, Texas Tech. I mean, like these are teams that are going to like Purdue is the number one offense in the country. Yeah, they're a great team. It's going to be hard for anybody to stop ED, Travion Williams and Jaden Ivey. That's a fact. But if you can't get stops on the other end against good teams, it's just not going to be it for you. I, I mean, I just don't see it happen. Don't see it with them right now unless that defense gets fixed. Yeah, and the way they, they play two centers and their free throw <clears throat> thing, what did they shoot from the line against Ohio State? I think they shot. Yeah, they shot 50% from the line. So it's a team that has trouble getting shot shots and a team that has trouble securing games at free th- with free throws at the end. They have Sasha Stavanovich, who's a 90% free throw shooter, but everyone else, like, you can foul and get a stop in the one-on-one situation. So, ability for teams to stop you at the free throw line and the ability to not be able to defend well against good teams, guard the three-point line, makes you susceptible to come back, late comebacks in the second half. And, those, and, just, uh, and just upsets in general. I mean, they let Ohio State shoot 59% from two-point range on Sunday. Like, if you have Zach Eady, like, that shouldn't happen. Like, that just should, should not happen. So, 60% from two, 31% from three, which isn't great. But, I mean, if you're making nine threes, you have a chance to win basketball games. Yeah, so we'll have to see Purdue. They did bounce back against Minnesota on the road. We should mention that. But they get – a home game against Michigan, which Michigan will be desperate. We get to see Hunter Dickinson and see how he matches up with Sackey. Michigan's been kind of struggling offensively as of late. So we'll see what happens there. So let's preview the week. We will start off with the big game of the day today. UCLA traveling at Arizona. The Wildcats are looking to avenge. Uh, Tuesday loss about a week ago where UCLA beat them by 16 points. The Bruins are third in the AP poll, but ninth in Kempom, Arizona. Ranks fourth in Kempom. Uh, they're still a contender for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, while UCLA is trying to add another win, big win to their resume. 
yeah, if UCLA wins this game, that's a, they're they're a projected number one seed, right? I mean, that's just like where we are at this point. Yeah, I think right now they're they're a two seed or a three seed, depending where you look. But I figure if you get a win at Arizona, I think that they should jump them to a number one spot. Right. You have the home win over Villanova. You have the road win at Marquette, and then you have these two, and then you only have two losses. One of them was kind of a fluky overtime loss to Oregon. I, I just can't. I, I love this Bruins team still. They're still awesome. They do everything that you kind of want to do for a team to win. They don't turn the ball over. They block shots. They make threes at a pretty decent clip, 35%. Uh, they're ninth in the country in defense, 17th in offense. Uh with all that being said, I think Arizona is going to bounce back in a big way tonight after what UCLA did to them last Tuesday. This just should be a fun game, 5 o'clock Pacific time to start. So if you're going to probably have to watch this game right after you get off of work, get to the nearest happy hour spot to watch UCLA and Arizona. But, yeah. It's a fun. great 7 o'clock tip-off for me. I love it. And then we got – what's the spread in that game? Uh, Arizona minus five, according to Ken Palm, but I'm sure there's an actual lineup. I can take a look. I'm going to look right now. Oh, yeah, Arizona minus seven. That's what the real line is. Ooh, that's, a, that's a lot of points. That is a lot of that points. Fe- that, feels like a, that feels like a trap. I think – I know Mackey Arena is going to be rocking, but, man, that's I might have to take UCLA with a seven, although I could see Arizona. That, that, that feels just like a total trap. Kind of like Wisconsin against Illinois was the last game, but I might fall for it. Um, I forgot to bet Marquette, too. Like, I, I love Marquette and Villanova, and I just forgot to put it in. But uh, I, I think the Bruins team, they're kind of getting back to what we saw in March, you know, like Mick Cronin's focus on defense, calling them out, like calling their performance, like an embarrass, a, embarrassment against Gonzaga, even against, like, Bellamine the day before. He was talking about how bad their defense was, calling out Johnny Juzang, calling out Jaime Hawkes, calling out his best player publicly in the media, and they've responded. Um, held Stanford the forty-three, a, a decent Stanford team to forty-three points. Held Arizona, it's one of the top offenses in the country, to fifty-nine. They're ferocious on the road against Colorado. Like if they don't play, they held Colorado. Colorado had a great shooting day too, but they turned them over 21 times. And yeah, like they, and like you said, they win the possession battle. They don't turn the ball over. They hit their free throws. They play a lot of guys. Like they just have a bunch of guys that just make plays and make stuff happen. Uh, Jules Bernard. Johnny Juzang, Tyler Campbell, Jaime Hawkins, any one of those guys can make plays at the end of the shot clock. And then you have that wild card with Peyton Watson off the bench and Miles Johnson too. So I like this UCLA team. They're a veteran group. Uh, They're a team that can play on the road. I kind of like UCLA plus the seven here. I'll make that an official, my official bet of the podcast what we're viewing here. But, yeah, it should be fun game. Fun game either way. I I agree with that. I think the, a real X factor is going to be Azela Subelis coming back for Arizona. He played 15 minutes against UCLA the first time. I think he missed the previous two or three games. 
He played 15 minutes, played 22 minutes on Saturday, trying to get his legs back under him against Arizona State and what was a comfortable win. And then they haven't played since then. So he's had four days to kind of just recover for Arizona. He's a huge X factor. He can drag uh, the big men away from the hoop. He's a little too big for a guy like Jame Jaquez or Johnny Jusang and a little too perimeter oriented for a guy like Cody Riley, especially with Christian Coloco on the inside. I think this Arizona, with him healthy, I think this Arizona team has a one too many weapons for UCLA, especially in Mikhail's center. Uh, I don't know how much I love minus seven, but I'm, I'm not taking the Bruins with the points. That's for sure. Then this with, with Ohio State and Iowa being canceled, we kind of get to talk about the mid-majors today. Yeah. Uh, a story that the Mountain West has been popping. Um, two teams that have been kind of risen up to the top of the Mountain West ranks that we didn't really see um, at the beginning of the season. I knew Wyoming was going to be good, but I didn't think they were going to be this good. Wyoming hosting Boise State. Wyoming a one-point favorite. What we think about the Cowboys, they lose their leading freshman their star freshman Marcus Williams to Texas A&M in the transfer portal, and they still got a lot better. One of the better stories of the year. Uh, what do you think about the Cowboys and that great fan base in Laramie? That's a hell of a job by Jeff Linder, huh? Crazy. They're, they've had three losses on the year, one of them at Arizona on the road, a fluky loss to Stanford in Hawaii, and they lost uh, at Boise State to the same team in a game that could have gone either way. Yeah, Marcus Shaver made a three, I believe, in that game to clinch it for the Broncos. Uh, kind of see it going the same way. Don't know who's going to win, but just low scoring, low possession. I think the difference is going to be, obviously, that they're in Laramie this time and that Hunter Maldonado is a man on a mission. He's been awesome as a senior he had 35 points, I believe, 35 points on 11 of 16 shooting, seven assists against Colorado State in what was the huge uh, part one of their two-part just monster week for Wyoming. If they win this game, I mean, it's just like that's another quad. My, it's they're, Boise State's 30th in Ken Palm right now. I'm not sure what they are in the net, but that is just another huge win for Wyoming. I mean, they've just been racking them up. Utah State. Colorado State, and then another one against Boise State, and then they get Fresno and Utah in the next two games. I mean, that, those are just huge victories. Uh, it kind of sucks for Wyoming is that they don't get to play San Diego State in Viejas Arena this season. The way the Mountain West is working out, uh, they only get to play them once. So that's a little bit of a tough break because that would just be another big quad one opportunity. Which is crazy we're thinking of Wyoming as a – at large bid for the tournament. Like the fact that they're even in, in the discussion is pretty crazy. Hunter Maldonado is really making a case for like I really don't see how NBA guys don't see a guy like Hunter Maldonado. He's not projecting on any draft boards, but I'm pretty confident like this guy's gonna be playing in the NBA. A six seven forward who can handle the ball. He can post up smaller guards. He could shoot he's not a great three-point shooter, but he can shoot it out there. He's pretty much automatic at the free throw line, shooting over 80%, and is a great defender on the wing, too. And standing at 6'7", like, the guy's 
the guy's a stud. And he, then you pair him with Graham Ike, who's, as a six-dive forward, one of the better better rebounders in college basketball. He's leading the country in usage right out here. He's averaging he's averaging close to 20 points. Let me see. He's just one of like there's so many good players in the Mountain West right now. And EK is just kind of flying under the radar a little bit, you know. He's I know I'm, he's averaging 19.7 points, 8.9 rebounds on 53% shooting. So pretty pretty crazy stuff and he just great inside good at the free throw line and pairing him with Maldonado is makes Wyoming a great team then you combine that with guys they have a good shooter at with Drake Jeffries and if the way Wyoming is playing right now it's they're a fun team to watch for sure you see who's making a little comeback in uh, the Mountain West these last three games? What about the Utah State Aggies? Three yeah. Straight double, three straight double. Like, we don't need to talk about them for that long. I was just looking at the schedules of all these teams. But they're not in the picture to make the NCAA tournament. But right now their metrics say they're a top 40 team in the country. They've blown out three straight opponents, Nevada, San Diego State, and Air Force. They, they've blown all those teams out of the water. And they'll get a couple more easy wins before traveling to Wyoming. Uh Kind of have to keep like in this wildness in the Mountain West. If you're a mid-major fan, you have those top four teams, but then you have Utah State, who either is going to be a thorn in these teams trying to get at-large berths. They're either going to be a thorn in their side, a big win on the road that looks better on team sheets than it does when you're just watching it on TV, or they're a potential bid stealer. They can beat good teams. We've seen it this whole season. So, the just Mountain a West shout out to the Aggies. The Mountain West tournament, just kind of saying, it's going to be wild because one of those two, four top four teams, so like San Diego State, uh, Wyoming or Boise State or Colorado State, like those te- four teams are going to be fighting for at large berth. Berth, one of them is going to have to play Utah State in the in their first game in the Mountain West tournament. Yep, and that's like just not a reward. It's not a reward. <laughs> so it's it's going to be. Yeah, the Mountain West is pretty wild. Then we could also talk about in the WCC, two teams that kind of – they haven't fallen off the radar, but we have a BYU. BYU lost to Pacific. They kind of – that's a – our four-bid West Coast Conference is on life support, Austin. It's on life support. And I think BYU kind of needs to win this game. I think that's – it's pretty obvious they lost back-to-back games on the road against Santa Clara, which wasn't bad on Thursday, but to follow that up with a road loss to Pacific, not great. No, not at all. And it wasn't even as close as the three-point final. I think it was 76-73 final. Uh, it was not that close. Uh, they were down double digits most of the second half, had a wild late run. It looked like Pacific was going to blow that game and BYU was going to escape, but – couldn't didn't happen. Pacific got a huge win, their first win in a couple months, first WCC win in God knows how long. So good on them. But yeah, BYU tough loss. And then Santa, San Francisco had their own tough loss on Thursday. 
they were beating St. Mary's pretty significantly. Uh, they were up 17 at one point, 17 at the half, just totally dominating the game. And then they stopped scoring. And St. Mary's, anytime you let St. Mary's score 48 points and a half, uh, something went wrong on defense. So, yeah, tough loss for the Dons. Bounce back nice against Santa Clara, but they need uh, they need a win tonight badly. Like, this is a must-win, I think, game for San Francisco. Yeah, I think BYU might be able to afford a loss. After this, they play at home against Gonzaga, which – may be the clinching win for them, NCAA tournament clinching win, if they can get that win. I think they're the really only team in the country that has really a shot at beating them. And by a shot, it's kind of like – it's like a sniper shot. Like, yeah, like a sniper right. head shot from like a mile away. And But, yeah, San Francisco, that win against Davidson has an UAB – and Fresno State, those have, um, yeah, those have aged well. But that loss against Grand Canyon, my antelopes, like GCU, hasn't been good. They've lost three in a row. So that's gone from a quad, I think, from a quad two loss to a quad three loss. They are 0-3 against the other competing teams in the WCC competing for a bid. They blew that 20-point lead against St. Mary's at home, which looks kind of catastrophic now. And they also blew a double-digit lead in the second half against BYU at home as well. And then after competing with Gonzaga for a half, they got their blows, their doors blown off too. And Loyola Chicago, I'm pretty sure, came back on them as well. Yeah, I mean, they were in that. They had a chance to win that game for sure. So... So, yeah, another missed opportunity there. And so they just haven't been really good in close games. They haven't really been good in the second half, really. Like, if they if they finish just one of the games at home against BYU and St. Mary's, they're not really in this position where they have to go at BYU and what's going to be a crazy environment and have to steal a win there. So BYU is only a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'd probably lean BYU to win this game at home. But they, as I, I agree with you, I think the Dons need this. They do match up well with BYU with their ability to defend the three-point line. But they're going to need a game from Jamar Bouye, Cahill Shabazz. They, they need the, they, their guards need to be the best players on the floor. Like that. Point guard battle between uh, Bouye and Alex Barcelo will be fun. It's going to be fun to watch for sure. Uh, yep. And then Friday night, a couple decent games. San Diego State at Colorado State. That's a good one. Colorado State needs that game. They've lost two in a row. Got their doors blown off by San Diego State in San Diego the first time those two teams played. And then Creighton at Seton Hall. Creighton could use another big road win. Uh, Seton Hall has been reeling lately. Uh, they probably shouldn't take any bad losses. I feel like they're inching a little closer to the bubble. Their wins haven't really held up against Texas and Michigan like we thought they were going to in the non-conference. So if the Pirates could keep getting some of those wins against the lower tier of the Big East, that would be helpful to them. And then we have a huge, huge, huge Saturday. Oh, the Saturday slate is 
pretty significant. You want to kind of wrap, just kind of rattle off the games that um, your top games that you'll be watching on Saturday. We have Baylor at Kansas. That's the headliner. Kentucky at Alabama. Uh, Indiana uh, Duke's last time taking a trip to Ta- Chapel. Not last, not Duke's last time. Coach K's last time taking a trip to Chapel Hill against North Carolina. Uh, Illinois going to Indiana. Gonzaga at BYU, like we talked about, and then Connecticut at Villanova. And then we have Iowa State at Texas. I believe all those games except uh, Kentucky and Alabama, and I guess there's a couple of them that aren't top 25 games, but all of them are significant to both teams and very significant to the national picture. Yeah, and it's just – I like how these games are spaced out, too. Sorry, didn't even mention USC at Arizona, which isn't projected to be a very close game, but still matchup of top 25 teams. Yeah, and we get Alabama and Kentucky at night in the 7 o'clock central window, 5 o'clock Pacific window. So that's nice. And then we kind of have a late night stack with Gonzaga and BYU. So we have games that are spaced out, a stacked morning slate, and then – what time's that Duke BY uh the Duke UNC game? Uh five o'clock. Yeah, uh, five o'clock central time. So before Kentucky Bama. It goes yeah. Baylor, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, and Kentucky, Alabama. I don't think I'm getting up all day. <laughs> I think we're just gonna stick around on Saturday and just watch college basketball yeah. day, which is best way to spend your Saturdays for sure, in our yeah. in our humble opinion. And then so, you get USC and Arizona at uh, five o'clock Eastern. If you if you want to get a second screen going, which I advise. <laughs> yes, and so we might have to do something, or at least write like kind of a pick sheet. There'll be there'll be some money spent in the gambling account on Saturday. Let's just say that when we get some lines out, but we'll be right there to recap it. Um, well, it's going to be a stacked Saturday slate. Nate, it's been a pleasure. I know you have to get the class. Yeah. So enjoy enjoy UCLA Arizona. We'll do UCLA plus seven. Nate doesn't believe it, but the Bruins will come through. Let me get out a pick tonight real quick, since you got your lock of the year. Maybe not lock of the year, but you like US. You like a uh, UCLA. Ooh. Sleep. Uh, St. John's minus five. Locking in. I did I did not look at the whole slate, but anytime I can get five or less against Georgetown, home or away, doesn't matter. I'm fading Patrick Ewing. <laughs> so we got St. John's minus five on the road. UCLA plus seven. And then I'll throw out another one. We'll get a little greedy. I like UCSB at home against UC Irvine. Miles Norris, I'm on to do so. Against Colin Welsh. Good matchup in the Big West. Late night Big West hoops. I'll take the Gauchos minus one. And that's about it. So remember, we're getting to that time. It's always March. Enjoy college basketball. We're signing out. We'll see you guys soon.